Our reading today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 to 11. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope, and he will continue to deliver us, as you help us by your prayers. This is the word of the Lord. I was in Walmart this week, and uh, I picked up a calculator for $2.97. Not the world's best calculator. I took it to the checkout where my friend was working, and she rang up the calculator and asked me if I wanted the warranty with it. Uh, We kind of looked at each other funny over the tops of our masks. Uh, A two-year warranty for a $2.97 calculator. But feeling curious, I asked her how much that would be. How much would that set me back? And she told me, after ringing it up, that it would cost three bucks. Three dollars for a $2.97 calculator. The warranty cost three more cents than the thing itself. And so in this case, the warranty really serves no purpose because if I somehow break my calculator through my frenetic and my energetic calculations, then I can just go and buy a new one. I mean, who would even go through you know, the hassle of ringing up the company and asking them to make good on their warranty when you can just buy a new one for less Friends, this silly little example um, actually teaches us something serious, that we live in a culture of disposability. If it breaks, I'll take it out to the curb and I'll buy a new one. If the show is boring, I'll flick over to something else on the five streaming services that I'm subscribed to. Uh, We used to fix things. Now we hand it in and we upgrade. We used to own. Now we subscribe. We used to purchase. Now we stream. We live in a disposable world of Ikea and Amazon and the dollar store. And we'd be foolish to think that, this, that we don't bring this disposability mentality into our spirituality, into our faith life. If God doesn't answer my prayer, then he's not God. If I struggle with this part of the Bible, then I'll just go ahead and read Psalm 23. If God doesn't show up in my devotional time right away, then I'll switch off and I'll flick over to Facebook. If I don't see breakthroughs in my walk with Jesus, then I'll quit and I'll give up. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1 says this, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. We, what we need to fight this kind of um, internal lean towards disposability or worldliness is this thing known as endurance. But the thing is, endurance is hard. It's not just spiritually hard or theologically hard. It's just plain real-time hard. And yet, I, I think that we all have something with us, uh, within us like a kernel or a nugget inside that is wired for endurance. We love movies when the hero strives against the system, sometimes for years, and eventually wins through. Why? Because we've just witnessed endurance. 
We love the underdog stories where the sports team starts humbly and no one takes them seriously, only to come home with the cup. Why? Because we've just witnessed endurance. We are moved when we hear about William Wilberforce, who, who, who fought legalized slavery in the British Empire for 20 years, only to die shortly afterwards, after he succeeded. Why? Because we're moved, because we've witnessed endurance. And the good news is that if we are in Christ, we are equipped for endurance. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. For I am sure of this very thing, that the one who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 8. He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We are wired for endurance. But let's, let's look at four truths that we need to hold on to in order to endure. And we're going to find these four truths to endure on in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11. Truth number one. Life is hard. Everyone say, life is hard. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Now, often I find that Paul understates the situation rather than exaggerates it. And yet here, Paul is laying it all out on the table. He talks about troubles. He talks about great pressure. He talks about far beyond our ability to endure. He talks about despairing of life itself. It does not get worse than this. Now, Paul might be referring back to Acts chapter 19, where they had massive riots because of Paul in the city of Ephesus, where it says that the whole city was in uproar and Paul and his cohorts were at the, at the hands of a bloodthirsty mob. But regardless of what incident is specifically in Paul's mind as he writes this, the point is that it was absolutely um, end of life serious. But, and, and here's... Here's the thing we have to understand is that the next few verses in our passage in 2 Corinthians 1 don't make sense unless Paul seriously and honestly thought that it was all over for him. So let me say this to you, that the road to endurance starts with admitting the truth that life is hard. There's no opting out of this. Endurance means rejecting escapism or chasing the easy way out. We, we need to admit, just like uh, Paul, that life is hard, sometimes even to the point of despairing of life itself. And you aren't a failure if you admit this. In fact, this is the first step on the, on the road uh, to the freedom of endurance. The second truth that we need to embrace, that we need to bank on, is that heaven is real. Everyone say, heaven is real. That this life is not all that there is. That there is something else after this life that we can look forward to. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 9. 
Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I've learned that kids will eat their greens if they know that there's ice cream coming. I think Nathan mentioned this a few months ago, but it's true. If you put the sure promise of ice cream uh, in front of a child, then they will choke down the greens. And Paul here says that, um, that we felt that we'd received the sentence of death. This is serious. They felt that this was the end, that this was the no through road. This was the end of the line. They were in a cul-de-sac. And now looking back, Paul reviews that moment that they thought was the end. And he says, but this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So what's Paul saying here? Well, either he's saying that God, who can do anything, could actually raise their corpse from the grave so that they could carry on their mission on earth. That is a possibility. God is able to do that. Or Paul is saying that if he dies, then he gets to be with Jesus through the final resurrection. And either way, he's good. You know, I've heard people say she's so heavenly minded that she's of no earthly use. But perhaps one of the main ways to be of earthly use is to be heavenly minded. Because it's the hope of heaven that that enables you to endure the challenges of this world. In fact, it's the hope of heaven that can actually bring meaning into the suffering of this world. Like Paul says in verse 9, he says, But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So who are you relying on today? If you're relying on God, then you will endure. If you're not, then you won't. It's that simple. So the first truth to endure on, life is hard. Look at life in the face and just admit it. Life is hard. Second truth to endure on, heaven is real. No matter how hard life is, it pales in comparison to what is awaiting those whose hope is in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Friends, listen, just three chapters after Paul talks about being under this great pressure in chapter 1 verse 8, where he talks about it being far beyond their ability to endure, despairing of life um, itself, being, being under a sentence of death. Uh, just three chapters later, he calls those things a light and momentary trouble. Why? Because God has given him an insight into the glory that is awaiting And friends, if we're going to endure, then we need to have a good theology of heaven that is robust and and realistic and and based on the Bible. And that goes beyond flipping harps and clouds and merely seeing our loved ones again. We need more if we're going to endure. And it's all in here. It's all in the Bible. The third truth to endure on is this. God is good. God is good. Life is hard. Heaven is real. God is good. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 10. He has 
delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. He has delivered us from a deadly peril. He will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. This is the confidence that leads to endurance. He has delivered us. He will deliver us. And he will continue to deliver us. On him we've set our hope. Amen. So let's hear from some friends of mine who will tell you just how good God is. And how staking their lives on this truth has enabled them and empowered them to endure in some really, really, really tough circumstances. Let's welcome Hank and Irene. We are here this morning with Hank and with Irene. Uh, they are really good friends of mine and the families. And we met um, when Wendy and I came back from the ship and we heard that there were uh, some people who were connected with the missions organization, Operation Mobilization, uh, living in the city. And so I think we, we went over to Hank and Irene's house and I think we had a barbecue or a meal or something like that. And since then, we've uh, had this wonderful friendship. And, you know, for me personally, uh, I would I would think of Hank and Irene as being kind of mentors and uh, huge examples in my life. Real joy to be with Absolutely. all of you. Wonderful. Excellent. Um, so how many years have you been serving God? Sweetie. Well, I want to just start off by saying that God is not just that uh, he's not just a way maker. He's a history maker. And I have had 46 years of serving the Lord. And I have had 50 golden years nearly this year, uh, this year by July. On okay. The okay. 46 and 46 and 50 years. That's awesome. Yeah. That's nearly a century. It is almost a century. In the church, I think sometimes we can place uh, an unhealthy focus on being married and settling down and, you know, this or that or the other. You know, St. Paul, he was single. Uh, you know, Jesus, he was single. Um, and, and so um, how did you endure by faith as single people uh, working on the mission field? What you know, that? that's a very good question. I mean, you look at missionaries from the past, Amy Carmichael, even Corrie ten Boom, uh, Gladys Halewood, actually a lot of missionaries on the mission fields were single. And just what you mentioned as well, Paul as well too. And that's one of the reasons why so many uh, do leave the mission field because they're not able to cope with it. Uh, I was 20 years single on the mission field. And I must say, I... I knew the Lord had called me, and um, and my, that was the first call. My second call was getting married. But if you ask me how I went through it, I, I, I really, I must say, <laughs> I enjoyed it to be single. I was very flexible. I worked in difficult, very difficult countries, the communist world, the Muslim world, Sudan. And I knew if I would have been married, there would have been dangers, uh, which if I would be married, I would have difficulties. But when you're single, you are more flexible uh, as well, too. So it gave me the freedom to choose and to travel into situations which naturally you would not do as a married man. 
But on the other side too, I must say there was a real longing for me to be married. So uh, when I was 42, I met my wife. And that is when my whole life really changed. And uh, yeah. just the right time, on the right place, with the right precious woman, was a whole new chapter in my life. I think I wanted to get married the day I was born. <laughs> I was that kind of a person who yeah. uh, really, really just always wanted to be married. And, but God's timing is different. And uh, I waited until I was 39 to meet Hank and marry at 40 years of age. I was 40, so we know he's two years older. But my relationship with the Lord and his word were key in enduring. When we talk about endurance and waiting on the Lord, I think my relationship with the Lord, first and foremost, seeking his kingdom first was the drive in my heart, in my desire of my heart, seeking him first. And also friendships were key. Good, godly friendships, the body of Christ, the love of Christ towards each other, really helped me endure until I met Hank. Why don't you just share, you know, um, uh, what are some of the places that God has called you to serve him in? What are some of the contexts? Well, I've, I spent roughly the first eight, nine years over in, working in the communistic world, which were a real challenge. Then I worked in the Middle East for a few years. Then I was three years on the Dulos, uh, exciting years, I would say. And uh, then I, re I met Irene and we worked 22 years with refugees over in Germany, which was another highlight in mm. our lives. And then we came to Canada mm. 10 years ago. Awesome. And here we are. <laughs> I think it's important that you work in your Jerusalem before you go to Samaria. In other words, I started off in Youth with a Mission in the Eastern Townships in Quebec. And I started off in a discipleship training school. Then after that, I was led to work behind the Iron Curtain as well, uh, serving the persecuted church. And then I was invited to work in Amsterdam with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, preparing for the conference for evangelists from all over the world. And then I remained in Amsterdam and worked with Youth of the Mission before I was rescued by this hero who came by and um, <laughs> lassoed me and rescued me from Amsterdam. I think in our retirement, um, it's really good to know that you have an aim together in life. And that in this age of our lives, as you mentioned, that retirement stage is good to be mentors and coaches. There is such a dire need for younger people. And that's what we love doing. First yeah. of all, we do it with our son who welcomes it every time and says, you've been so far ahead of me. I love hearing from you. Dad and mom, what do you think of this? And he's a pastor in ministry. So coaches and um, mentors are incredibly important. Yeah. Mm. So so now with friends for dinner, mm. uh, working together here as a couple and see how the Lord has led us both and how the work has grown mm. has been a tremendous privilege. Mm. And a fulfilling yeah, time. A fulfilling if this time, time of our lives... It's so fulfilling yeah. to be able to see God bring forth life into students, yeah. new life. Students yeah. who've come from countries that have been restricted to the gospel. And also for our marriage, you know, uh, I mean, we are still in love. It's just has brought tremendous excitement in, into our mm -hmm. marriage as well. Too. From the very beginning, I think serving together has been 
the the charge charger in our marriage too. It just really accelerates the joy of seeing God working through us and us really following him together. I think sometimes we can have this uh, unhealthy emphasis on now, you know, I've worked, now it's me time, now I can stop, now I can put my feet up. Um, how do you view retirement? Very good question, Dan. Um, I think it's very true, you know, the retirement years are golden years. Uh, you, you have years of experience behind you, especially when you're in job, you have grandkids, you say, boy, this is going to be my time to be with my grandkids and to enjoy my time of uh, freedom. And we have built up an incredible doses of experience during that time as well. You know, there was a dear couple, Rod and um, uh, Miller. Miller from Trinity Bible Church. They lived in, what is it? Oscar. Yeah. And Oscar. And they were, I think, early in the 60s or late in the 50s, honey. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And um, they uh, got a real burden for the mission field. They always wanted to be a missionary. And that is the time when he felt, this is the time to go. He and his wife, um, they sold their home and they went with OMF to, um, to Thailand. And they became a real asset. First place is experience. They were able to help in the headquarters and really to help different on different places in Thailand with the mission of OMF, just to help in the offices, to build it up with the experience they had. But also they were an elderly couple where people could come to, younger missionaries as well too. Mm -hmm. And that was a real blessing. So they worked there for how long? 10 years. Oh, mm. wow, come hardly wow. believe it. When they left, they just gave us their furniture and said, we're leaving, you're coming. And that was 10 years ago. So they left and we came in. So <laughs> they gained uh, an experience which they would never have had anywhere else. And it really enriched their lives. And it did enrich their family, the grandkids. They were a real, how would I say, booster to the children as well, to grandchildren. Giving them a vision. Giving them a vision for missions. Okay. So, um, so they are back right now. I think when you're an elderly couple, what is very key first is that you know the Lord is directing you. But you know, God gives you desire in your heart. That's then, it. Uh, you should not feel guilty uh, that you're not going. You should feel a desire within your heart and also unity with your kids. Talk it through with your kids and know your health as well too. Not everybody is able, you know, because of their health conditions to go. But if your health is good, uh, pray about it, but know your limits. It's very important as well. And have a good solid counsel with your church, with the elders, with the pastor. Did you have anything to add there, Irene? I think because we're both in that stage right now, we can see as from the very beginning of our marriage, serving the Lord to the very day to day, it is what we actually thrive in doing. Hmm. And we, we just love it. We look forward to it. One of the things that I might add, that we have a lifestyle evangelism and we meet people on our trail. We've seen come to faith in Christ through building a relationship in walking um, we don't have to go across uh, the ocean 
we can be doing it with obviously the international students here, but also just thriving in doing the calling continues mm. and even into retirement. Lovely. You know, I have a little plaque and I want to close with that. This is what we got for our marriage. Okay. And it says, God is getrouw in Dutch. Okay. That means God is faithful. And we look back over our lives. We say from the very beginning when God called us, he is has and is faithful. faithful. I need to be careful how much, I, how much time I spend around Hank and Irene because just listening to them share about God makes you want to go straight back into the mission field again. I could easily have had them share in last week's sermon on, uh, on going by faith, but it's so good uh, to hear how God has helped them endure through singleness, through serving God behind the Iron Curtain in the, in the Muslim world, in Europe and now in in Canada, as the founders of Friends for Dinner. My prayer is that when I'm their age, I will have stories of endurance as I look back at this hard life, as I look ahead at the glories of heaven, as I reflect on the goodness of God. So the final truth after life is hard, uh, heaven is real, and God is good, is this, that you are not alone. You are not alone. Say along with me, I am not alone. Ready? One, two, three. I am not alone. One more time. I am not alone. You are not alone. Second Corinthians 1 verse 10. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Yes, it's the reality of heaven and the goodness of God that are truths to endure on. But it's also the knowledge that we aren't alone, that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who are cheering us on when we're flagging. Brothers to the left of me, sisters to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Satan's greatest illusion is when he can convince us that we're alone. And that is a lie. That's a lie. In, in verse 8, Paul starts this, this section that we were reading this morning. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced. Why did Paul want them not to be uninformed? Because they deserved to know. Because they're on the same side as Paul in the same army, in the same, uh, in the same family, fighting for the same cause. It, and, and so if Satan's biggest lie is that we're alone, then his second biggest lie is that no one cares, that no one is interested. Is that true? Has Satan been speaking that into your life? I am alone and no one is interested, no one cares. But here's my... My question for you, have you given anyone the chance to care? Or are you stewing in your own pit of, of self-pity, um, drawing unfair conclusions about your brothers and sisters in Christ because they haven't called you or reached out? Well, have you called them? Have you reached out to them? Have you risked being honest with them and telling them how you feel? Or have you said... I want you to be uninformed and I want you to read my mind and know that I need help even though you are uninformed. That's not fair. 
So friends, pick up the phone, go out for a walk, reach out. We're now in orange zone. We're allowed to do this. So make the most of your freedom. Don't sit at home in your stew of self-pity. Make a determination in your heart. I want you to be informed. I don't want you to be uninformed. My Church 414 group this week blew me away hearing and hearing that some of you have consecrated your homes as outposts of the kingdom this week blew me away. Praying for God to move in revival power on Monday morning at 7 o'clock with four other brothers and sisters blew me away. Having the most people that we've had for three years at our Tuesday evening prayer meeting blew me away. Over the past few weeks, God has started something new in my heart and he's blowing me away. Through this series, we've looked at what faith is. And, we, uh, and we've said along with Hebrews 11, now faith is confidence of what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. We uh, looked at God's faithfulness and our faith and Sharon shared how she's seen God's faithfulness. We then looked at living by faith at the, juxtap- uh, the, at the juxtaposition between faith and works and Jeff and Julie shared, shared with heart about their journey of living by faith through childhood cancer. Then we looked at, f- at faith and doubt and share it, Sarah shared shared so so courageously about her internal struggle with with doubts and we said let God speak louder than your doubts we uh, we then heard Josh preach about praying by faith and we heard story after story of Josh himself and then Muller and Moody and more about God's extravagant answers to prayer and then we looked at Giving by faith. And Juliana knocked out of the park with, with, with her testimony. And we, and we learned about God's septuple, God's blessing. We looked at going by faith and how God wants us to relocate from our normal for the sake of the gospel. And Kelsey shared about God about how God relocated her from, the, from, from a safe conversation um, in, in just 10 seconds into a conversation where she shared the gospel while Matt and Marie shared their epic story of 19 years serving over in Cambodia. Aren't you amazed that we have so many stories of faith in our little church? And this is just scratching the tip of the iceberg. And now we end with enduring by faith. Keeping on going to the end. Not being happy with five kilometers when God has called us to a marathon. Friends, if we go through life saying life was supposed to be easy. Heaven is a nebulous fantasy land that I sort of believe in. I'm not sure if God is good and I feel alone. If we go through that, then, then, uh, then we will quit and we will fail. We will drown under the weight of our false assumptions and expectations and our incorrect understanding of scripture. Friends, your life is not disposable. You were made to endure. You are God's child. You are saved by Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit living inside you. You were made to endure and the odds are ever in your favor. But if you are to endure, then you need to remind yourself over and over and over again of these four truths from 2 Corinthians 1, you need to write them down. You need to mark them. You need to internalize them and remember them. So let's say them all together, nice and loud. In fact, shout them out. So number one, life is hard. 
Number two, heaven is real. Number three, God is good. And number four, I am not alone. Let me end this sermon and this series on faith by reading two scriptures from Paul. And may these be the anthems of our life as we endure in the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And then 2 Timothy 4 verse 6. Towards the end of Paul's life. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Let's pray. Lord, teach us how to long for your appearing. Help us to be heavenly minded so that we can be of earthly use. Lord, help us to recognize that life is hard. Let's not escape this truth, but let's embrace it. Life is hard. Heaven is real. You are good and I am not alone. Lord, as we move ahead into this next week, into this next month, into this next year with all the things up in the air and not sure what the future looks like, may our hope not be in a vaccine. May, may our hope not be in further openings up of society. May our hope not be found in locking ourselves in our home. But may our hope be found in you, Lord God. Because you are good and heaven is real and we are not alone. And that, Lord God, will help us endure even though life is hard. Lord, would you move in our midst? Would you encourage our spirits? Would you lift up our weary heads, Lord God? Would you um, help us rediscover you in your word, Lord God? Would you do a new work in, in our church, through our prayer meetings, through our Sunday mornings, Lord God, through, uh, through our church 414 groups, Lord? May you, you be glorified and may your kingdom come here on earth, as it is in heaven. Lord, that is our plea. That is our cry. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.